athleticism at Cox. He can go on the night for third. 200 centimetres. You can't do that. Welcome back to the Lunchtime Catch-Up Podcast. This is your host, Scott McNeese. Uh, Grant is away for the week. Uh, yeah, so we uh, wish him well, uh, and uh, he'll come back on the main show in a week or so. So we may have a week off uh, with the with the buy coming up. But, uh, yeah, he'll, he'll be back and uh, doing our normal Patreon shows and main shows. So uh, I've done a last-minute call-in. <laughs> And with my good friend Paul Cousins, uh, he's joining me on Zoom. How you going, Paul? Good, mate. Twice in a week, eh? This is a bit much, isn't it? I know. So you came on for a Patreon show, which was really, really had such good feedback from that conversation. And and it's funny because we've been delving a little bit outside of the VFL with our show. So we kind of cover a little bit of the VFL, but we've been talking about Essendon as a as a club, and it's been getting such good feedback. It's actually a really good opportunity. Uh, now that we're at the kind of the halfway buy point to actually have you on and have a, a conversation about the Essendon Football Club. Uh, as we know, uh, yesterday uh, we played Port Adelaide, went down by 16 points. Uh, it's a team that's s- s- struggling to score at the moment. I, I think they've scored a total of 145 points in the last three games. So that's averaging 12 points a quarter if you're doing it times 12 quarters. Uh, so that's not a great indication of scoring power. No. Um, when you saw the game, I guess, what were your initial reactions? Because it was a very interesting way of delving into it as in a half of in the dry and half in the wet. So it actually – it's an interesting narrative that I thought, but I'll, I'll be interested to get your your thoughts. There are a couple of interesting things come out of that, weren't there? One, we're a team who have been sort of um, criticised for how we played in the wet in the past and yet we're clearly significantly better in the wet yesterday than we were in the dry. Um, And I think probably, I didn't check the score, but it felt like we scored a bit, a fair bit heavier in the second half too, Um, certainly in the third quarter than we had um, in the perfect conditions of the first half. Um, So that was interesting it's it sort of the, the rain at halftime probably helps simplify things from a distance, I think, for the group. Um, I think we got caught a little bit in the first half where, you know, we, it was an interesting sort of selection to go with an extra tool. When Jonesy came in, we kept the two Ruckman in. So Drapes started forward, Jonesy started forward, um, and, and obviously um, Peter Wright started forward. So you sort of had three, six, eight-plus or six, seven plus sort of guys forward, um, which, you know, given our midfield and um, the the issues they've had by foot uh, over an extended period, um, we probably struggled with, you know, missing targets going forward um, and having that footy run out at sort of a million miles an hour and Port able to go coast to coast a little bit. Whereas in the second half after the rain came, we stopped really trying to hit up those targets. 
Um, and it became much more a game of sort of forward momentum. Um, you know, we, we really got on top in the contested footy in the third quarter and um, around the ball and really just played a sort of surge forward mentality, which worked really well for us. Um, but unfortunately for us in the last quarter, I think Port were able to sort of figure out that that's what we were doing. They, they probably put... I think they took a forward or two um, out of their forward line, put them up around the contest and negated that sort of contested dominance that we'd had, um, meaning the last quarter really became a bit of a stalemate, didn't it? it you know, neither team could sort of Well, neither team, forward. yeah, neither team scored a goal. No, nah. and, and, and that and, was, I think Port had seen our dominance around the contested ball in the third quarter. So to negate that, they put extra numbers around the contest. We weren't able to then... Um, sort of link up around the contest and bang it forward with that surge mentality. So um, it, it meant that the ball sort of um, stayed in a heavily contested sort of situation for a lot of that last quarter and um, really negated the scoring of both teams, which, of course, Port were happy about. So, If you if you truck, it'll be interesting how you view that game. I mean, Port Adelaide, I think around the 17 or 18-minute mark, um, scored a goal and they only scored one goal after that. So that's 17 minutes mark in the second quarter yeah. and they've only scored one more goal for the rest of the game. Yeah. It's, it's, it'll be interesting how Truck views that. Like for me, we, in the first half, we again had issues in transition uh, with Port. I would say kick two or three goals a bit too easy for the coaches yeah. liking. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. You've got, for me, the defence uh, as a as a tactic going up quite high when it's dry. Uh, and I th- for me, it relies on our players having quite a bit of skill and, and you know, having almost like an old Hawthorne kind of, you know, we, ha- we keep possession of the ball and, and, and go through. But if you don't have a, a high level of skill, then you yeah. def- when your defenders are so high, the turnover kills you. Uh, yeah. So it, it's hard to know. You know, is it a team out of confidence or is it a team that actually still actually still needs development on how to use the ball and make better decisions? Yeah, I think it's probably a little bit of both, to be honest. But, again, that's where that um, that third tall in the forward line probably hurt us, even though all those three guys contributed. Um, as soon as the ball hit the deck in our forward half, Port have got a number of really good, smart running small defenders Dan yeah, Houston, yeah. Carl Amon, these types who they're also really good ball users. Um, yeah. So when the ball hit the deck, um, they were able to to because in part because of our extra size and sort of lack of of pressure, we were able to impart, particularly in the first half, um, when we weren't able to hit targets going forward. As soon as it hit the deck, they were able to link up and run it out, and then they got the footy into the hands of their really good ball users out of the back half who were able to pick off targets going forward and then, as you saw, get really easily coast-to-coast and into our D50. And when the footy sort of gets through the midfield that quickly um, and starts to propel really quickly into the forward line, it becomes almost impossible to defend one-on-one for those key defenders. So, And particularly when we're probably undersized with our key defenders yesterday, uh, I know Reedy's tall, but obviously he's a lot lighter than a, than a Charlie Dixon type or even yeah. a, um, Marshall, who I thought was pretty good. I don't know, probably missed a few he should have kicked, but I thought he presented pretty well for them. Um, so so we're a little bit 
um, probably when the ball pinged into their forward line really quickly, were a bit undersized. They were able to take some marks. And I know everyone talked about our lack of conversion in the first half, which which was probably the scoreboard made that appear more obvious than maybe it was because we were, you know, 1-8 or whatever we were. 0-8, yeah. Yeah, 0-8. So, uh, but, you know, going back and watching the first quarter, there's probably really only two shots that you felt like we really should have kicked. You know, I think um, Harry Jones had a set shot that yeah. he might have kicked most times and maybe Alec Waterman had one. Mm-hmm. Um, Nick Martin had a sort of difficult one on the run. Other than that, there are a few force behinds. There are a few real 50-50 sort of snaps um, which didn't come off. So, And at the other end, Port missed a couple of pretty easy set shots himself. I think Marshall from memory, I think maybe the first shot on goal was 20, yeah, 25 out on a slight angle that he missed. I think Rosine missed one um, at about sort of 40 out straight in front. And so um, people were sort of lamenting our missed opportunities and that's, that was fair, but I felt like the scoreboard, even though we did miss a couple of opportunities, I felt like the scoreboard was pretty reflective of the game at, at quarter time and, um, you know, it, it sort of, we just weren't, whilst we were getting inside 50s, we weren't getting real quality looks. We weren't getting quality inside 50s. We were either trying to hit the goal square and having it force through or we're trying to hit up targets and missing them badly um, and, and sort of then kicking into our numbers that part of part of the way you defend the ground has to do with how you turn the ball over too. You know, if you yeah. if you give live ball turnovers to, to opposition players streaming out of their back half, it makes it incredibly difficult to defend. Whereas if you um, are able to at least create a contest around the footy, make the opposition shape the ball out of the back of the contest and then take a long down the line or something, you set up the ground, you can lock it in, you can get repeat entries. So part of... Um, yeah, I think it's a part of the game that people ignore a little bit is that whilst you have to be able to defend the ground, how you defend the ground can become dependent on how you've turned it over in the first place. Mm. Um, you know, if you if you kick really badly to the opposition's advantage and they're able to stream forward with the ball, then it makes it virtually impossible to d- defend the ground in front of you. There's no doubt, you know, <laughs> I can say this, but you don't, you don't have to, but I'll say it as a fan, there's no doubt uh Parish and Shield had off days. Uh yeah. Parish I thought especially had a and a you know you know considering who I saw last year. Last year I remember saying on a podcast I think he's actually improving that side of the game slightly. But yeah. but this probably that that game against Port um he really struggled to use the footy and and just yeah. it really did set us back quite a lot. Uh and even the previous game he had 14 turnovers against mm. uh, Richmond. So it's something he has to uh, to work at. And as a midfield group, I still think they, they have to w- work at because even just when you saw the influx of Nick Martin, for some reason you actually saw the bit of the gap. You went, yeah. oh, he's a brand-new kid, and he looks like he can pause, have composure, look for a right option. doesn't always work out perfectly, but yeah. he, he has a mindset that thinks through the game. Uh, yeah. uh, so... It, it kind of highlighted to me anyway, just going, oh, okay, that's that's a bit of what class <laughs> looks like. Merrick can have it in patches and, and can think through the game quite well. Um, but yeah, yeah, you're right. It was it was a midfielder that just midfielder that just turned it over in terrible 
positions at half back where you, yeah. you as you said Houston uh, just they're just too good of players not to not to punish us uh, and importantly they're really good ball users too so when they got out the front you know when we were they were able to turn it over and get their hands on the ball streaming out of 50 they had it often in the in their best ball users hands and they were able to hit targets and pick us off through the middle and get through really quickly so yeah. it's one thing if you're sort of kicking and you're giving it to their worst users and they're so they're chipping it sideways or going long down the line or whatever. That's not what was happening. You know, we were we were missing targets badly, we were kicking into our numbers and, and so because of that, their best users, they were able to link up with the ball, get the footy into into Houston, Carl on these sort of guys' hands and they're terrific users of the ball. They were able to to use it really wisely. So I think the um the ball use by foot of our midfield group has been an issue for a number of years. I think we haven't quite got the, the mix right there. And I think Kyle Langford going out really early in the season has really exposed that a bit um, because mm. he's he's an elite user by foot and, and not many of our other guys in that midfield group are, you know, as we've talked about before. Zach Merritt's a terrific kick of the footy but tends to be a backwards and sideways player a little bit more than, than a sort of picking off that forward kick. So... Darcy likes to pick it off. He can be a little bit hit and miss by foot, and, and he missed a bit yesterday. And, um, you know, I think th- those guys have some limitations by foot. They have some other really obvious strengths as well. But, you know, we need to balance that out. And, um, you know, hopefully Langer's coming back, Will Snelling coming back. A few of these guys who use the footy pretty well by foot um, will help us um, get a, a slightly better balance in that midfield mix. I think, to be honest, it's it's a bit of a personnel issue at the moment, as opposed to, you know, when you when guys are 24, 25, 26 years old, they generally aren't going to necessarily improve that specific area of their game that much going forward. A lot of these sort of turnovers by foot in the midfield tend to be decision making as much as the actual kick. Yeah, um, you know, you t- often there because you've just picked the wrong option or you've. And that'll happen, you know. They're split-second decisions, but uh, it's important with your midfield mix that you've that you've got a mix of guys who are really, you know, elite by foot as well, so that you can get the ball into their hands as often as you can. And it's it's an important distinction too that uh, you can have a guy that has ninety percent efficiency show up in the mat in the match yeah. and actually have a poor decision-making game. Uh, yeah. and, and you know, this is a guy I rarely criticise because he's a is a kind of a top five player at the club. But you I can't help ignore the talent Jordan Ridley has to the delivery with the ball in hand that he offers. Uh, mm. and, and it's a very safe uh, you know, he, he seems to – who was against Port, the designated kick-out guy, and, yeah. and I could do a 40-minute podcast on our kick-outs, by the way, but I won't But because it, it drives me insane. Uh, but it's very – you know, you heard Jonathan Brown actually say it on the telecast saying, mm. unfortunately, this is all very, very predictable. I already know where the ball's going to go, and so Port does. So they've actually set up the ground already just knowing because that's where Sam Draper is and that's where Peter Wright is. So everyone on the ground knows we'll get our halfbacks and mids around the ball so we can – this is Port, I'm saying. We can, yeah. we can, we can set up our smalls because it's a wet ground and we can, we can propel it back into our forward 50 with that setup. So Jordan really, to me, there has to be in a, 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 some sort of development that has to go into him saying you're an elite kick, 
but we need you to be a daring elite kick for the benefit of the side. And and I've spoken about Goddard being one of those, Langford being a guy who's aggressive with his kicking. I think yeah. I think Perkins is learning it in yeah. recent recent times. Yeah, to, I agree. To be a bit more aggressive. Mm-hmm. Uh, and but Ridley's crucial because he's such a skillful player that it can't be 20 metres to the left to Laverde or it can't be down the line every single time uh, where I'm at the point now personally where I'm more comfortable with Mason Redmond kicking out because yeah. I, I think his mindset is... Yeah, he's positive. He's all. positive. Yeah. yeah, he is. Uh, Reds is um, he's a fantastic player. Uh, the one thing that, that does happen is when he lacks a little bit of confidence or, or um, maybe the team's under pressure, he does tend to be a little bit safe with ball in hand, and that's probably a trait that he's had since juniors. You know, he's an elite kick of the footy. Um, but even I, I know, you know, when he was playing VFL, um, not that I get too involved in, in um, you know, I let the coaches coach and all that, but occasionally I'd just whisper into his ear at quarter time or half time or, to trust his leg because it's he has an elite leg. Yeah. Um, and he... And he when he bites off those kicks, when he when he plays aggressively with ball in hand, um, you know, I, th- I think much more good than bad comes from it. So, yeah. but it is a, a it is something you know. Whenever anyone lacks confidence in in part of their job or whatever, they it, it's a natural thing to to sort of play a little bit safe. Um, and, and that is, he does sort of you know he can go into his shell a little bit um, by foot. So. Um, yeah, that's. I'm sure that's something that the coaches continue to work on with him. Obviously, he brings you know he's an incredible player at a young age, but uh, he needs to continue to be encouraged. I think to to remain positive with ball in hand as much as he can. Yeah, well, that I mean, in the modern game, I feel like that half back line is so pivotal now more than it's ever been. Oh, so many attacks come from there. They really yeah. do. Yeah. Uh, so it's a, just an area of the ground. I mean, we were lucky in some stages, sometimes with McKenna and Saad and, and Ridley at some stage. <laughs> it was a yeah. really dynamic. Um, but we, that's changed, you know, for, for better or worse. It's, it's reality. Heine, uh, you know, is, is pretty daring on occasion with his run. Um, yeah. But it's an area we've got to get right. I want to talk – I'm going to talk some positives. So it's been a <laughs> – I thought that was close to my favourite Sam Durham game. Oh, he's fantastic. I, I probably thought he was our best player or very uh, close to uh, Yeah, I'm, uh, I, I'm, I'm in agreement. You know, there was one thing um, we talk about, we just talked about Kyle Langford. There was one thing that was really noticeable yesterday with Duz was um, he offered a real overhead marking target around the ground. Yeah. Uh, he was able to both take some intercept marks but also some link-up marks around the ground and, We've lacked that a bit with Kyle going out with that sort of um, link through the midfield, the marking target through the midfield. And last year, particularly um, sort of through the mid part of the season, Kyle and Nick Cox were able to really offer marking targets as link-ups through the middle. That's an area I think we've really struggled with this year with with Langers going out early and then Coxie obviously going out as well and, um, and probably not quite being in the form he was last year. Um, we, we really have lacked a, a sort of a link-up marking target. And yeah. I thought Daz's hands, even in the wet, were terrific. And he's an incredibly easy footballer to like, Sam. He's, he's um, honest and aggressive and all those things that we like in, in a player. 
Yeah, well, he, he actually reminds me of Redmond. Does the country yeah. turn up? I'm, I'm here to play. Uh, yeah, no, he is. Yeah, there's but, nothing too uh, nothing too complicated there. There's a bit of sea ball, get ball, but that's good. You need those guys. And, um, you know, I, I thought it was probably his best game for the club yesterday. Yeah, and I, and I thought um, – I've had, I've, you know, I've been, I've been critiquing Hobbs a little bit uh, on his decision making and kicking a bit, but he is growing in in certain areas. You know, he had twenty two yeah. disposals, and this yeah. is this is a half forward. He didn't actually attend a centre bounce, so this. No, was, but he did get up into the midfield more. Did get so up in the midfield yeah, a little bit, yeah. Through, during the second half, particularly, I thought he. he um, I suspect it was a designated role where he would go up and. Um, be an extra around the contest. I, I say that without it. I wasn't there without any knowledge, but um, <laughs> yep. I suspect they have a couple of designated roles where um, one of the forwards, high forwards, will go up to uh, stoppages and to the contest a bit more through the middle of the ground. And I suspect that was Hobbsy's role in the in the second half. But he, he found a lot of footy early, didn't he? He was really involved early in the game in that sort of link up um, almost between half forward and, and deep forward role. Um he got on the end of quite a lot of sort of, I mean, we dominated the centre clearances in the first quarter in particular. And um, a lot of those were going out the back of the stoppage, shaping the footy and then sort of coming around and kicking to um, the flanks and and a bit wider. And he, he was often on the end of a few of those and therefore had a few inside 50s, had a shot on goal and he was... Yeah, you're right. It wasn't always perfect, but he was very involved early, and then managed to sort of find plenty of footy later in the game, either, and uh, later in the game as well. He sort of so far has become that pressure forward, and that sort of that really wasn't his go yesterday. I don't think he had a lot of sort of tackles, and it was more more of a get ball day yesterday for him, which. Um, you know, is a positive going forward. I think. Yeah, just just the one tackle, but I guess. I guess half of his possessions, which was uh, was contested at least, and five score involvement. Yep. So he's starting yep. to, at least he's starting to have an impact on games. Grow. Yep. I mean, there's still a lot of growth within him, but I just feel like the last couple of weeks, uh, you know, the the real competitive side of him starting to get in. He's starting to understand a little bit of the rhythms of yep. of, of positioning himself. It's all small growth. He's only 18, so it's yeah, it, it's it's just. It's a long career ahead, but we just saw. I just saw some things and went, okay, you know, there's some things to tidy up, but there's a pretty good uh, journey along the way. Uh, I I don't know about Tex because uh, I know a few people asked me to, to mention about some of the young guys. Tex, it's very hard because Tex has had such an interrupted in and out season, yeah. and I feel like I'm seeing that. I I see I see the effort, I see the face grimacing to try and get to a contest, yeah. but. It, just his positioning and just knowing where to be, that's that's uh, probably for me a result. And you would know this more than anyone uh, of Beaches being in and out of the VFL side, injured, either niggles or anything like that. Yeah, he just hasn't played much footy, and um, and I mean that not just this year. I mean he just hasn't yeah. played a lot of footy. <laughs> so um, he's with those sort of guys. The one thing that the thing that sort of comes last for those guys usually who haven't played a lot of footy or haven't played in quite a while tends to be possessions. You know, they struggle to um, sort of get to where the footy is um, and tend to be chasing a lot. And, and look, Tex has done that well. I think he's 
forward press is excellent. He's obviously fast. He gets to a lot of um, a lot of pressure acts, a lot of contests. Um, he just um, hasn't yet been able to find at really at either level um, a lot of footy, and that's probably until he plays a bit more footy, and probably truthfully until he plays a bit more VFL. He's probably going to be a really low possession, hopefully high impact kind of guy. And look, everyone points to Cyril Rioli and guys like that as as making careers that way. I think Tex is one who probably needs to get a bit more footy to, um, you know, going forward. I, I don't think he's quite going to have your Cyril Rioli type impact off seven or eight touches. I think, you know, ideally yep. he, he'd be getting touches in the low teens or somewhere there, but I really think that's just a development thing for him. As you said, he hasn't played a lot of footy. And to be honest, ideally, he'd probably come down and, and play um, six or eight weeks in the VFL on ball and off ball, you know, like play some time on the inside and then go forward, find a fair bit of footy, figure out where to run to find the footy a bit. And, um, you know, that way he can um, sort of take that, that ball-finding ability up. I think we've seen it with... At VFL level, you see it with guys like like Hurdy, Tom Hurd and um, uh, Kane Baldwin and these sort of guys who haven't played a lot of footy um, or have had in, a couple of interrupted years. Yeah. It's always about finding ball. You yeah, know, they, yeah. they can do terrific things with ball in hand and Texas the same and the, there's others. Um, but they can do a lot of great things with ball in hand. It's just you just need them to find it a bit more and, that's where that development in um, in the VFL where you can say to a guy like Tex, go in and have 20 minutes on the inside, which he's not going to get at AFL level. So, yeah. Um, yeah, ideally, I think he can play this role that he's played yesterday um, effectively at AFL level, but ideally I think they'd prefer to, well, not speaking for anyone, but from my point of view, I think um, a real development point for him would be to go down and have some 20 possession games in the VFL and just find a bit of footy and a bit of touch. Uh, look, before we go to a break, one of the most interesting stats I actually found, so I looked at centre bounce attendances. So you've got yeah. pa- Parrish with 14. Perkins, you got to yeah. say Perkins. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Merritt yeah. with 12, Shield with 10. Yeah. And I was generally shocked when I saw Perkins with 16 and, it seems like even the last three weeks, because, I mean, Hobbsy the previous week started yep. to um, – and it was one thing that, you know, I was a little bit critical on myself that there was such a short rotation. And I understand the Langford and, and Stringer and, and yep. Snelling were all out and they, they often rotate. Mm-hmm. Um, so I do get that, but it was actually a fairly good time um, to, I thought, anyway, well, at least Perkins um, – yep. Uh, to start introducing him because he, we don't have 186 centimetre. <laughs> Me, no, we don't. And outside Port of do. Langford. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, and Port do have some bigger bodies that go through there. and um, You know, it, it's uh, Ollie Wines and these sort of guys, not super tall but big, strong bodies yeah. um, and, and taller than our guys, frankly. So, um, yeah, it, it's... Uh, it's important to be able to mix it up and to be able to say to a guy like Archie, look, we like your size and, um, you know, I think he's pretty composed with ball and handle a lot of the time. So, um, yeah, I liked the mix yesterday. I, I liked that they were willing to, in a in a pressure game, in a pressure situation, they're willing to um, trust a kid like Archie and say, you know, you're, you're spending the day in there and look at 
a few of the older blokes might not have been that happy about it, but um, you know that's that's all part of the team game, isn't it? Everyone sort of rotates in and out. I think the one difficulty we have is that we have a lot. We tend to play a lot of midfielders, um, mm. and they don't play in the midfield necessarily. And so what you can have is a guy like Archie goes in, and it probably um, puts a Zach Merritt or a um, or sometimes Darcy or Hobbs or whoever who are all midfielders, they're all inside mids, mm. but they end up spitting out to a wing or half forward. Or, and the wing in particular, I think last year was a really effective position for us. I think um, Cox and Langford in the first half and then Durham as well in the second half. And, um, uh, it became a really effective position for us um, stretching the ground. We were able to use the wings um, and use those guys as marking targets and, when, when you play an inside mid, a pure inside mid out on the wing, they immediately suck to the contest. It's just what inside mids do. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so you lose a bit of shape on the ground and a bit of width and, and probably lose some outlet options, um, where, you know, for the back half, um, which can both slow you down but also lead to kicking to a contest as opposed to kicking to a link-up guy. So it's an interesting one how they're doing it at the moment with that midfield mix. As I said, we, we probably play a lot more pure inside midfielders than most teams, um, but they a couple of those guys always end up playing on the wing or half forward or in a forward pocket or, or whatever it might be. And it's a bit of a um, – it's probably a bit to do with our list makeup as well, but, yeah, it's something I think um, they, they might try and work on in the second half of the year is probably focusing on the guys on the wings actually playing the wing rather than just – starting on the wing and becoming an inside mid the second the bounce goes down, you know. Yeah, it was an interesting uh, – I loved a comment. Uh, this was quite a while ago, around about round three or four. I remember Nick Rewalt talking about Nick Martin. And, yeah. And they were talking about, you know, what impresses you the most. Everything. And, and, and Nick <laughs> – well, Nick made an interesting comment. He said, I love that he's not sucked into the ball. Yeah. I, he goes, I love that he identifies he where he needs to be yeah. If if Parrish gets the ball, they've got an outlet, and he's spre- yes. and he's spreading. So he's understanding the role of the wing. That's really important. And then, so exactly what you're saying. And I, I've, I'm a little bit confused why Nick the last two weeks have been playing halves in forward line because um, mm. I don't think that's his ultimate strength. I think he's a very gifted wingman. But uh, I, you know, I would love to see uh, you know a you know, a rotation of Durham, Langford, you know, Martin sometimes on the wings and then sometimes, you know, Langer's Langer's rotating through the mid inside stuff. But that kind of height on the wing and spread um, to give us that marking outlet. Well, it does. It gives you an outlet that we're struggling to find at the moment. And part of, I think part of that is that, you know, yesterday I think Zach Merritt spent a lot of time on the wing and um, uh, other sort of, I think Sheer was out there a bit as well and, yeah, those guys are inside mids. They, they, their natural instinct is always going to be there's a contest in the middle, I've got to get there. You know, whereas a pure winger, a guy or, or a guy who's played a fair bit more of outside midfield, like a Nick Cox or a, um, or a uh, sorry, Nick Martin or a Kyle Langford or Sam Durham, they'll yeah. hold their width, they'll, they'll stay wide, they won't get drawn into that contest so that when we win that footy, We've got an outlet and then we've got an option to get into our forward half nice and quickly. Yeah. Um, and, and also, you know, to change the angle a bit as opposed to just 
banging from the dead centre to the dead centre in our forward 50. You can change the angle. That can create some separation for our forwards. And then you can, you know, rather than having to drive long to a contest or whatever, you can lower your eyes, hit up leading targets and get some nice clean shots on goal. Very well said. Uh, let's go to a break and we'll talk about Essendon the season so far. And I want to talk about a certain parish incident to see uh, your thoughts. Okay. Welcome back to the Lunchtime Catch-Up Podcast. Now, Darcy Parish, it's quarter time. It's, I think it's 28 to 6. Uh, I, I don't know what the instigator of this was, but he is obviously not impressed, uh, pointing to, to Kelly, I think, initially. And then yeah. Heps is trying to work out, you know, let's get the message clear. Um, you know, Parish is a bit huff and puff and um, eventually turns around to his credit and, and yeah. tries to explain you know, positioning and I wasn't quite sure if he was the one, you know, you never know what happens before the camera is, you no. know, if, if, cause it easily could be a case where Kelly's told him off and then he's actually, you know, talking about, uh, and so just quietly, I kind of like really stepping in and giving his point yeah, of view, got involved. Yeah. <laughs> but I thought, gee, as a young player, I already like mm. that. At least that's something I know you, that's, that's part of you, but you know, it's just throughout that, it's been there's been a lot of talk about Essendon and leadership on field, uh, and just leadership in general. Um, you're obviously uh, a leader in your own business. You've been a director at the club, VFL president, so you're you're well advanced in 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 leadership. How what's I thought I'd ask you what's important to you in leadership, and you know when you're looking at that, some people celebrate that action and go great. I'm I'm seeing him frustrated. That we're yelling at each other, you know, we're, or we're trying to, you know, what's important to you when it comes to leadership? I think um, when talking specifically about players talking to each other, coaches, people around the, the program talking to each other, honesty is the biggest thing. You know, like you have to be able to be in a point where you've got a level of trust among the group, among each other, that you can be brutally honest if that's what's needed. Provided, uh, you know, we talk uh, and the club certainly talk internally about um, keeping things above the line. So, um, you know, you, you can have brutal honesty. You can't go and abuse a bloke. You just can't do that. So um, if, if you're going to, be, the, you know, the reasons for that are obvious, but if you abuse a bloke, he bites back, suddenly you've got all out war and you're playing group or whatever. You just can't have that. It needs to be constructive. Um, it I have no problem with direct feedback between players. In fact, I think it should really strongly be encouraged, mm. um, provided it's both constructive and honest. You know, there's no yeah. deflecting, oh, that was your fault, not my fault. Oh, that doesn't do anyone any good. You know, you need to, it needs to be, um, listen, when that happens again, you need to roll up to the contest or, or whatever it is. And, and, you know, the guy on the receiving end needs to be able to receive that feedback. Part of um, having real, open, honest dialogue uh, between a playing group or whatever the situation may be, you know, the, whatever the environment is, but it, it's about being able to receive feedback yourself as well and say, you know what, you're probably right. 
you know, like I made a blue there, mm. all, all good. I'll make sure next time I do whatever the team action is. And I think watching that yesterday, I wouldn't like to speculate on what was being said or what was what it was, but it looked to me like, um, well, A, Darcy was clearly frustrated, but it looked to me like he was talking about a team action. You know, there seemed to be motioning about a you need to come up or something like that. Um, yeah. Port had, just before the siren, had managed to sort of walk out of our forward 50 and into theirs um, very, very quickly in transition. It looked like maybe, um, I won't speculate too much, but it looked like maybe that someone broke down in their defensive setup um, and, and maybe there was a discussion perhaps around that because it was right on the siren when it happened. And um, I think... Um, as I said, Darcy ideally wouldn't probably deliver that quite so demonstratively that everyone has to get involved and Dyson probably stepped in between. And um, But, you know, as far as direct feedback goes, you, if you haven't got that honesty in a playing group or in a footy club in general, um, forget it. You're finished. You have to be able to give really direct, honest feedback in a group and provided it's constructive, doesn't always have to be positive, but it has to be constructive. Mm. You know, that the reality is sometimes feedback's going to be negative. Um, but if you can frame that in a constructive way, this is why we made a mistake here. This is what we need to do to combat that, you know, to make sure that next time we're better in that, then everyone can get on board with that. But if you have blokes just abusing a teammate or that that goes that can go ugly places very, very quickly. So it's about you know, having creating trust within a group, um, making sure if everyone buys into the same team goals, the same team rules, the same philosophy, everyone's on the same page in that regard, then you can have that really honest feedback between people. And, um, and the good sides have always got that. You know, you, you've always seen, you, you go back over the last 10 years and a lot of the best leaders are extremely demonstrative with teammates um, or, yeah. or uh, very direct in feedback, not afraid to give critical feedback to teammates and their teammates because there's a level of respect and trust and honesty there. Teammates accept that, understand what they need to do better, and then those same guys might give that feedback to someone else. You know, so um, yeah, it's it's if you if you're not coming from a place of trust and and, um, and of honesty. You know, if you haven't got a history, if you can't take feedback yourself or, or, you know, you bite at your teammates whenever they try to give it, it makes it very difficult. So everyone needs to be, I mean, it sounds simple, but everyone needs to be as open and honest with each other as humanly possible and you need to be able to both give and take that kind of feedback. And for a lot of guys, that doesn't come naturally. A lot of guys will immediately want to bite back as soon as someone says something to them or yeah. a lot of guys will rather just go about their own business and not give a lot of feedback or not, but they need to. You know, that's that's a growth area for – it's probably a growth area for our group, truthfully, is that some guys are probably a bit too quiet, a bit too introverted, maybe a bit too worried about what they're doing um, and not necessarily giving feedback that at times needs to be given. Yeah, it's interesting just a, a segue into – the two and eight start. I mean, there's two and nine. I think it's just a two and nine. Yeah. So, um, so it's it's an interesting one because there's and no one can convince me that anyone expected two and nine. Like it's just no, no one. Uh, you know, even with the injuries, 
Uh, and, you know, when you've seen some of the games about how um, how we've lost, uh, it's not just a, a case of, uh, I guess, youth and inexperience. There's definitely – it's like the, for me there's like definitely factors all involved, which I yeah. get, but then there's a, an overarching factor that I've, I'm sorry, but we actually just haven't cut it so far, you know, yeah. and there's a lot of – it feels like a lot of work to do for, for truck and the coaches – I guess your thoughts, season so far, um, and I guess in, in some ways, you know, realistically you, you would assume the coaches have an understanding that the final side of things is no longer even a, a discussion. I mean, I, we literally have to win every game from here yeah. just just to have a 50-50 chance. I think we win every game with like 13 wins and that yeah. doesn't even guarantee you. So it's yeah. – I mean, that's not going to happen, obviously. So what's, you know, how you approach this one, this two-week break, and then how you approach the second half of the year. Uh, what are your thoughts? You know, how did you, in your head, how did you see Essendon going this year? Were there concerns for you that um, last year was a little bit of an aberration in some ways? But, like, I keep going back to, and you know, Cal Timmy once said and said, Scotty, they only won 11 games last year. So they were, yeah. le- they were 11 and 12. If you count the final, they're 11 and 12. Yeah. So finals was the banner, but realistically, no one, no one, no teams make the finals with 11 wins. They nah. somehow did because yeah. they had a, they had a rip roaring percentage uh, yeah. uh, and just a bit of luck. So h- how do you frame? what's happened this year uh, in the best way you can without saying. Yeah. <laughs> I know there's some, you know, but yeah, on a football side, but yeah. you know, and how do you, I'll be interested. You obviously once a director, how do you frame not panicking, but, but making sure things are getting done. Like you, you almost don't want to panic, but you want to go, but seriously, we need to improve. Yeah. I, and that's, it's a fine balance finding that line. You can't panic. You know, there's no panicking internally does no one any good. But it also, you're right, like it hasn't lived up to expectations, no question. I was, you asked what my expectations were coming into the year. To be honest, I expected us to probably drop away a few games on last year. Mm-hmm. Um, you're right, 11 wins don't often make finals. Um we probably got over the line in a couple of close ones last year that maybe you don't other times. And um, we also got on a bit of a roll. But for me, the biggest thing last year was that there was absolutely no expectations on the group, none, mm. going into the year. I mean, half the nation's media picked us to finish in the bottom four and um, it, it was obviously, you know, Truck's first full year in charge. There was a bit of a changing of the guard and, um, some some really talented senior guys had gone out the door um, at the end of the season before. So the team really went into last year completely unencumbered of any sort of pressure. There really wasn't any pressure mm. on um, because there was no expectation beyond you try your best and you stay in games and whatever else, um, you know, you have to be about whatever your, um, I hate the word, but whatever your brand is, you have to buy into that. You have to, to um, do what, you know, what the rules that we set, we have to stick to all that sort of stuff. But as far as wins and losses goes last year, I mean, there was really no pressure, no expectation. And going into a season like that, 
when you sneak a few wins and things start going well and you've got a young group, it can sort of snowball a bit positively. You know, you, mm. you get on a bit of a roll, young guys can, um, you can generate real excitement around a group. Um, and the fact that whether we win or lost, particularly for the first half of last year, was considered reasonably irrelevant, a bit like the sort of 2016 year or whatever when yep. and fans enjoy it more too, you know, <laughs> like when there's no expectations, fans are, can walk away from a loss and go, gee, we played well. How's that young bloke? Like, yeah. you know, whereas when you're expected to win um, and you lose, fans don't tend to enjoy it quite as much. So um, that, that mental aspect, I think, between last year and this year was very different. Going into this year, I think there was an expectation. We made finals last year. We're young, but we should continue to improve. Going forward, you know, we've got some second, third, fourth-year guys who should continue to come on. So I think there was a, a reasonable expectation of um, at least sort of holding ground, if not improving. My concern was um, that we'd gotten very, very young pretty quickly. Um, certainly, I think Kyle Hooker's contribution last year was underestimated um, as a sort of elder statesman in that forward line. I think he kicked 30-odd and... Um, you know, despite sort of being dropped late in the year and um, was he was a really good senior, strong presence yeah. uh, in, in that forward group, which was very young without him. Um, and, and, you know, obviously Zachar as well. And we, we just, when you, whether those guys were at the end of their careers or not, and obviously Waller early this year, oh, didn't play at all this year. And um, whether those guys are at the end of their careers or not, when they go out of a group and you immediately sort of replace guys in their 30s or late 20s with guys in their late teens, you know, we were already quite young um, in the group that played. That got us a fair bit younger, particularly if we had a few injuries yeah. too. Hurley, was, sort of Hurley was a big one group. too. Yeah, which we did. You know, we had injuries to, um, well, obviously Waller, but um, Langers and um, Stringer and, Snelling and guys in that sort of mid to late 20s group, um, which was, you know, meant we were pretty devoid of leadership on field. And so when things went badly, we struggled to turn that around. We struggled to provide that leadership. So I think there's been, um, you know, obviously round one was a bit of a disaster. That first quarter was, you, you can probably trace a fair bit of what happened since back to that first quarter, including obviously the Langford injury, but then, we just got smashed. We just got hammered off the park in that first quarter. And, you know, that obviously put a big dent in the confidence of a group. And when the confidence of a young group gets low early in the season, it can be a long way back. Um, I, I feel like the last few weeks have started to um, stabilise a bit as a group. Um, there was a little bit of a free fall uh, around that sort of Fremantle, Sydney, that sort of stretch was... Mm. Um, pretty yucky <laughs> but um obviously with that with that one win with Hawthorne in between but um yeah I feel like they've started to stabilize a bit and and mentally probably um get control back uh, as a group um and, and probably structure up a bit better um hold the defensive group together a bit better so they're positive signs going forward um you know after I think the breaks come at a really good time obviously I mean anytime yeah. you you're two and nine, the break comes at a good time. But um, it's come at a good time because we can expect half a dozen bodies back pretty soon after the break. I think, um, you know, there'll be a couple of guys back straight after the break. They'll 
I think Langers and Snelling are probably another week on top of that. Um, probably the St Kilda game, but um, uh, bringing those guys back in and some leadership back in, coming off a, a refreshing sort of break, um, and, and a couple of reasonably sort of competitive performances, you hope that the mindset can turn a little bit. They can generate a bit of confidence and. Look, if they can um, get a win early in the second half of the year, there's no reason they won't turn that into several. But I think as far as finals goes, I don't, I don't think coaches like to look that long-term anyway, ever. Um, mm. I think they're really worried about what's happening, you know, now and for the long-term future yeah. um, rather than sort of those those mid to short to mid-term goals. I think it's really about just focusing on, all right, who's playing this week? How are we setting up? Who we're we playing against, that sort of stuff, and um, but also obviously the one thing you can't do when you go into stretches like this is um, drop the ball on your team rules, on your on your culture of your group, on you know you, and that's where the Darcy thing becomes slightly borderline, and they'll be they'll be you know, talking about that internally, I'm sure, but just making sure that stuff stays positive, and you yeah. really need to if you start breaking the rules that you set. 18 months ago or six months ago or whatever, for the long-term good of your club and, and your program, if you start breaking them for short-term gains and short-term wins now just to get out of a slump, then it, it can go downhill very quickly. So they, they need to stick to those principles and hopefully we can insert, see an improved performance going forward. And even, I mean, even just the top of my head, I, I know he was kind of an in and out of the side, but even, even the age of James Stewart, um, yeah, I mean, yeah. you've just got a blanket of twenty-five to twenty-eight-year-old kind of that that you know that all got injured at the same time on a very yeah. on a very young group, uh, and it feels like when I watch Essendon, I feel like it's uh, it's not far off North Melbourne as far as just a, a young group. And you know, if I'm honest, and I'm, I'll say it, and well, you don't have to say it, but you know, uh, all thoughts uh, are provided by Scott McNeese and not reflect <laughs> not reflect the uh, attitude and ideas of Paul Cousins. Um, but our young, our older core, um, I won't name names, but uh, what hopefully you have as older leaders from twenty seven year old and over are struggling uh, and. And you know that we're not getting great output out of them. So you, you you've just lost a lot of on-field leadership uh, because you're actually getting the performances you were hoping a little bit better from, yeah. from some older group. And you know that's why we're talking about Sam Durham and and yeah. <laughs> these guys uh, and Martin and and you know so you you got a real imbalance. Uh, and it's something Danny Corcoran when he was on the show um, he was very clear on it. He said his view was he says well. Essendon's actually chose to go too young. If I'm being honest, they've gone too yeah. young, too quickly, uh, and it's and, and it's caught up. If they can get out of it, that's that's fine. It's just going to take a year or two more than maybe their initial goals were. You know, yeah. Uh, and that, look, that's where the loss of um, you know Joe Danaher, Adam Saad, and Raz all together um, yeah. at the same time is, is you know just whatever fans may think of those guys or, or how they left or what led to them leaving or, or ignoring all of that, losing three guys in the sort of 25 to 27-year-old age bracket. Almost McKenna too, almost, yeah. Yeah, well, and Connor as well, yeah. And that's that's really exposed a bit of a gap in the list age demographic um, mm. to the point where, 
you, you sort of, um, you're right, you've got your sort of leaders um, at, at, in the top age bracket, but then it's quite a big drop down to your sort of Langfords and Merritts and these sort of guys. And then it's another bit of a drop down to McGrath and those sorts of guys. So um, there are a few sort of holes in the list, in the list age demo and, and um, yeah, those three guys all leaving at the same time, as I said, ignoring what happened and what the reasons were and whatever else. It did create a bit of a gap, and those guys had sort of been involved in leadership at the club as well, and and um, you know had been leaders at various times. So it, it, there's no doubt that um, you know looking at that sort of and and then Hooksy and those guys going out in recent years as well, mm-hmm. Hurls obviously not being on the park, and um, you know and and then Waller not being on the park and then retiring, you you do sort of lose. Even just some mature bodies in the group, you know, yeah. like where you, you've just got guys with eight pre-seasons into their body rather than three, it, it makes a big difference to your overall group. Yeah, and and it's funny because you've got a, also a young list, um, you've also then, your young list has gone through COVID. Um, so yeah. you, you've had, it's a young list that's had interrupted, like you, you mentioned with Wanganens, yeah, it's a young yeah. list that's gone through interrupted footy. Yeah. Um, now, Okay, the good news of the weekend involves yourself as president. Uh, oh, yeah, it was all to do with me. <laughs> so, uh, so Sutton literally kicks the ball with two seconds to go, halfway through its journey. Um, yeah. It goes through for a point. Uh, your feelings as that happens, did you understand with the siren and well, the position he kicked it? First of all, in I reckon a thousand games, I must have watched a thousand games of footy. I've never seen that happen before where a live rolling footy has been rolling while, when the siren's gone and then bounced another three times or something and gone through for a point. It was ridiculous. But, yep. um, yeah, we knew straight away and um, certainly our guys do because they cleared the bench in a hurry and there was a big <laughs> a charge to the exact opposite pocket. You know, they had to run about 150 metres to get to it, but they got there pretty quick. So, um, yeah, it was good. It was it was an interesting game of footy, actually, and... Um, there, there were some positives come out of it for um, for our club for sure. So uh, from a you know I think a few of the AFL guys who came back played really well. James Stewart um, I think took fifteen marks. Uh, we did sort of joke at one point that he turned over half a dozen kicks, which led to another sort of six <laughs> marks coming back because he was playing kick to kick with them yeah, a little yeah. bit. But um, but he was terrific. Slotted back in and didn't look like a guy who'd missed as much footy as he had to be honest. Um, and Tom Cutler came down and had sort of 30-plus and kicked a goal and um, looked a bit above the level, uh, if I'm truthful, which was good. So um, there were some positives in those sort of returning guys. And um, it, it was a positive for us having, you know, let's face it, lost a lot of games in a row that um, the guys, we got a few goals down a few times, yet sort of stayed in the game and stayed competitive and um, and were there at the end with an opportunity. I mean, Coburg would consider themselves pretty unlucky. They were probably the better <laughs> side for at least a couple of quarters, but um, we played a, a sensational last quarter, really got on top and um, through the middle of the ground and, and were able to generate some, some scores going forward. So Aaron Francis is another AFL guy who I should mention who um, took a few terrific marks and was pretty important as well. Um so, yeah, a lot of positives for us, which is – and, you know, 
I, I did say after the game, footy clubs are meant to be happy places. They're meant to be places of joy. And um, when you when you lose a lot of games in a row or, or a lot of games in general, um, it can become routine. You sort yeah. of turn up, lose, go home grumpy and then turn up the next week. You know, it's... Um, Footy clubs are meant to be places where people are happy and, and having fun and enjoying each other's company, and it's much easier to do that after a win, let me tell you. So Yeah, um, well, they certainly belted out the song. and uh, Yeah, it's for some of those guys, <laughs> you know, even like an Alex Heard, he wouldn't have heard yeah. that. Yeah, he hasn't done that before. Oh, mate, the, we said yesterday that circle, the inside, the inside circle for the song was bigger than the outside circle. We <laughs> joked at one point that we might have to get all the trainers and everyone together to form an outside circle. <laughs> because so many of our guys hadn't actually played in a win for the club. So, um, yeah, you're just happy for the playing group you're really, and, and the coaches and those guys who, um, you know, pressure comes onto when you lose games. So, uh, but the playing group were, um, yeah, obviously it's both a huge release but also a, a real sort of outpouring of emotion for those guys. So, And um, look, I guess the good news is because we mentioned it about 10 minutes ago, when you have an influx then of guys coming off the off the health list and, yeah. and becoming available, so you got Snelling, Langford, Stringer, you've just had Stewart come back. Uh, it does then reflect uh, four guys maybe going back into the VFL, you know. Yeah, and yeah, and so you know, I mean, Guelphy obviously comes back after the break. Yeah. Um, Redmond obviously has would yeah. have served his one week, so. You know, it feels like even when it's a good time for you guys to have a break because yeah. when you come back, you may actually have a quite more uh, a mature view about about your program that you know you can you can start contesting with the sides you know above Coburg. Uh, yeah. But that's yeah. You just hope that touch wood that the health of the list um, reflects you know, hopefully a much more competitive. Uh, I guess. Yeah, I mean, even giving Joe Atley just a bit of help. Yeah. Oh, Joe was <laughs> sensational, I should say, too, yesterday. But um, I, And I did buy Snowy um, something a beer after the game, too. So, Snowy, if you're listening. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, look, we even just going to the break on a win, you know, like yeah, it, it yeah. just feels different. Like you feel better about – everyone feels better about – their place in the in the side and the program and everyone's on a bit of a high. You go and have a bit of a break, have a few days off, and uh, it's not such a grind when you get back into it. And as you say, we should have a bit of an influx of um, of some AFL talent come back as well. So, um, yeah, all positives for us. We, we stuck around after the game yesterday and had a beer and a few of the Coburg boys did too, which was good. So it was nice to um, – a nice way to sort of head into um, – a bit of a week at home mowing my lawns and doing that <laughs> stuff that I don't do all season. So no, it was it was a positive, and um, oh, it's just nice to have a win, mate. It's been a while, to be honest. Yeah. So, Look, uh, we're running out of time, but I uh, I do want to mention one player that is definitely growing, uh, Cody Brand. Uh, he is really growing the last uh, as the more he, he you know there was definitely I'll I'll be honest in the preseason. Um, there was definitely a message sent to him that you're just going to get fittest because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> uh, uh, he just wasn't to the level. Uh, and, you know, he was doing it even in, in the early kind of rounds, he was doing extra sessions of running. And it feels like, I don't know for sure, but it feels like it's having an effect. Like he's getting some more contest. 
and he's got a really good timing with his punching. Uh, it can be a bit dour, sure, but it's it's a bit Hartley like. But it, it's yeah. it's becoming really effective. Like he, he's he, he's becoming a really solid defender now. Yeah, he is. And uh, look, I, someone asked me the other day who I felt had come on the most this year, and he's certainly in that discussion, no doubt. Um, I feel like he, uh, look, he probably, and it was a very interrupted year last year. Um, he probably started pretty well, I thought, last year and then stagnated a bit as the year went on. Uh, but he's come in and the first, what have we, I think we've had eight, nine rounds or something at, at VFL level. Um, I feel like he's, out of all our players, our young guys, he's really the one who's come on the most um, from his starting point to now. So he had his career high in possessions last week by a mile and, um yeah, I thought yesterday um, he actually, like he didn't find the footy yesterday. He was back to being more dour, but, um, or, or certainly not as much as he found it the week before. Um, yeah. But from a, a defensive standpoint, he held up really well. Um, and, you know, between sort of he and Stewie yesterday, like normally we would have had um, Thatch in there as well yesterday, but he was a travelling emergency for the, yeah. for the AFL side. So um, we were down one. Key defender, Ken was sort of giving um, Brazer a chop out in the ruck. Um, and I should say Nick Brown was pretty good yesterday too. But um, so we were down probably a key defender on previous weeks. But um, and they had a couple of really quite nice um, tall key forwards, including Eden Sibold, who played a, a few seasons with us um, in our VFL program, who's a both a good player and a lovely kid. But um, yeah, he. Between the two of them, I felt like they really um, marshaled the uh, the defensive 50 really well. So, mm. um, yeah, a positive year so far for, for Cody for sure and uh, hopefully he can sort of continue that rate of improvement for the second half of the year. And if he does that, um, you know, and who knows, with some injury and stuff, he might, he might get a look at AFL level late in the year or, um, you know, maybe uh, early next year. And I really liked, you know, I did look, listen to Truck's presser after the game and and I, I'm in favour of kind of you could tell what he was trying to say about Nick Bryan. I asked about Nick Bryan. He yeah. had 47 hit-outs <laughs> against yeah. Coburg. But he kind of mentioned, he said, no, you know, it's actually great that he can come in for the seniors for three games. But he was kind of suggesting, but it's still important for him to go back and play a full game in the ruck. Like yeah. it's for his development, and I've been saying that during the week because there's been I've had a lot of people on our Facebook page and and to me Twitter's like, how can we drop Brian? It's you know he, you need him for the future, but uh, my view was the opposite. He's like, no, for the future you need him to go back to the VFL on occasions yeah. to learn his craft because Draper's the man in the seniors that yeah. they're going with for most centre bounce rucks, so he's not as learning. He's getting some experience, but you want him to have full games in the VFL as well. Yeah, uh, and I think that's a. Real, I think you raise a really interesting point in general there, and a, and a good one in, in that um, there, there seems to be this um, uh, slightly misguided sort of notion that um, young players only develop when they play in the AFL. In truth, I think um, young players who particularly those who are perhaps a bit raw with a bit to learn, can actually develop much more in the VFL than they can in the AFL because they're, they're put into positions where they're able to, you know, if it's a young on-baller, to play on-ball all day or if it's a young, 
um, forward like Tex who needs to find the footy. He can go and play on ball and find some footy and figure that mm. part of his game out. And with Bryza, um I think the, the thinking there is probably that um, if Bryza and Drapes play together too much, um, neither of them are, are a really strong forward option for us. Both mm. of them probably um, need to develop their forward craft a bit more um, if those guys are going to play together. Because if they're going to play together, one of them is going to be an almost permanent forward. You know, they'll rotate it. Yeah. Um, but but over the course of a game, either one of those guys is going to be in the forward 50 for much of the game. So, And you can't just carry a bloke down there. They need to be a, a target and they need to be able to kick goals. They need to be able to hit the scoreboard. So Andrew Phillips is probably much more adept at that. He, he's got a fair bit more forward craft probably than either of those guys. So... And that's your experience, and um, you know, and and that that Drapes and and Brazza are still getting. But um, by putting Flip into the side, it it, it gives an extra um, forward option. It gives a, a little bit more threat going forward, and and probably reduces the amount of time that Drapes has to play forward. He can play in the ruck a bit more. And uh, I thought Flip was actually terrific yesterday. He's a um, He's a fantastic competitor and he's aggressive and angry and all those good things um, that we like. But he's also, um, he's actually pretty refined as a footballer. His foot skills are pretty good. He's He's got some forward craft. He can mark and kick goals forward. And um, he's he's a really, I think he's a really underrated player, Flip. And he provides a bit of a point of difference that probably Drapes or Brazza don't yet have at this point in their careers. So Brazza comes down to the VFL. He can, yes, he can be the number one ruck for the day, but he can also, um, you know, work on his forward craft as well. So um, I think it's important for young guys. I, I actually reckon young guys can lack development if they're left in the AFL too long. You know, if it's a midfielder sitting in a forward pocket or if it's a, um, a ruckman sitting in a forward pocket or, you know, whatever it might be, you can actually um, really sort of stagnate as a footballer. I think they a lot of those guys can develop a lot better if they can actually go back to the VFL and get really important roles at, at VFL level. And, and and just quietly, even Phillips coming in has a, for me, a protection and mentoring to Draper. So no, it's sure. like, yeah, Draper doesn't, you know, he can't lean on Brian who's only 20. So yeah. he, he has a 30 year old on the field who can at quarter time or around the ground, Hey, run here, position yourself this way. I'm noticing this Absolutely. about the opposition ruckman. So you're doing it also to educate Draper and give him a bit of chop out. Well, that's right. I mean, the thing with Drapes is he's not that young, but he's very young in football terms. To the game, yeah. Very yeah. young. Like he's 23 or whatever he is. He's not, um, you know, Bryce is obviously a lot younger, but truthfully they're probably at a similar stage from a from a footy development point of view because Bra- Bra- uh, Drapes came to the game quite late. So... Um, yeah, having a guy like Flip with his level of experience and and he's a real leader as well, Flip. So, um, yeah, I, he's a guy who I, I think they had to, well, I don't know for sure, but I think they might have sort of talked him into going around again last year. I, I imagine if he wants it, I think he's got um, several years of footy left in him. So it'll be interesting to see how they um, how they sort of work out our ruck combination going forward because we have got two very young guys, both Terrific talent, Straps yep. and Brazer, and and both different players, but um, yeah, they're 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 both very young, and um, and as you said, Flip can provide a bit of um, a bit of leadership and a bit of experience for those guys. 
Now, I've quick one last. I forgot because uh, I said we'll go after the break and I'll ask Paul this. So I better actually ask you this. We're going into the mid-season break. Uh, yeah. Do you just pick best available talent in a mid-season draft? Because there's, there's a few holes all <laughs> around the yeah. ground. So, you know, my little whispers in my ear tell me you look out for Kelly or, or Dirksen uh, as, as possible options. Um, but do you – for you, is are you targeting a certain player or are you just – this is the best talent at pick three. We'll get him in our system. It's a really interesting question because the mid-season draft tends to be um, guys who have been overlooked. Mm. for whatever reason. So um, it's a bit di- – you treat it, I think, a bit differently as a recruiter than you would uh, um, a national draft where you might – there might be a guy who um, you think can be an elite talent um, but you and you're willing to use a later pick and stash him for a while, you know, because of that, because he's got a lot of development to do. Yeah. These guys at – and that's not to say some terrific footballers don't come out of the mid-season drafts, they do, but they tend to be more ready-made types. Mm-hmm. Guys who have been overlooked maybe a couple of times in their sort of, um, you know, late teens to early 20s um, and, and have um, matured a little bit later, come on maybe in, in a state league program or something like that. So um, you tend to not necessarily pick, like, I think if you get a 10-year player out of a mid-season draft, you're probably going really well, you know. Like, yeah. um, I think you, they tend to pick more on immediate needs um, in a mid-season draft, and and that being the case with us, um, there's a few options there, but I think small <laughs> forward and, and small back are probably two that um, we're lacking in, two areas we're lacking in a little bit, um, mm. particularly small forwards. Obviously, we, we were probably lacking in that area going into the season, brought Tex in, but then obviously lose Waller out the other way. So, um, and, and Deb Smith's had his sort of issues as well, both with injury and a bit of form. So, um, yeah, I, I would imagine everyone's talking about inside mid, and you and I had this discussion last week but, um, uh, on, the, uh, on the Patreon show, but... Um, if you're looking at an inside mid, you've got to be able to pick a guy who you're happy to push out a Darcy Parrish or a Zach Merritt or a Dylan Shield or an Archie Perkins or a Ben Hobbs or, a, you know, on and on or a Kyle Langford. Who's because they're mature age or, and expected to play. Yeah, yeah. That's right. So um, if you're picking an inside mid to shore up, you, like everyone wants a big-bodied inside mid. All right. So if you're picking them, who are you pushing out of the side, out of the midfield? Not out of the side, like out of the your midfield <laughs> rotation. Is it I, could, I can tell you a name that I know fans are screaming through my head, but I won't mention that name. Okay, yeah. So, well, <laughs> good luck with that one. Uh, but look, it... Um, yeah, I know it, what you mean, though. I know it has a has a has a consequence. Yeah, it, uh, these things don't happen in a vacuum, and everyone sort of. And you get a bit of that when people push for Ben Hobbs is a terrific example. Fantastic talent, first-round draft pick, early pick, um, clearly a, a player for the future, but, you know, very much an inside mid. That's his go. Um, You've just played Perkins now through there in the last two weeks. That's a, who, Perkins also, a you know, a top-10 pick. and a, So um, those guys have struggled to get rotations because of who they have to push out to get a rotation. And the, the guys they have to push out are 
Darcy Parrish, who, who um, you know, has won three best and fairest, I think. Uh, sorry, uh, Zach Merritt has won three best and fairest. Darcy Parrish, who almost won a Brownlow last year. And um, obviously, you know, Shields have been a bit out of form, but obviously the club thinks pretty highly of him, uh, you know, given what we gave up to bring him in. And, and um, then, then, you know, Andy McGrath, who was a pick one, and um, then guys like Langer, Stringer, um, these guys coming back, even a Nick Martin who's found a little bit of inside time at, yeah. time at times. Um, so if you're pushing one of those guys out, uh, or, you know, if you want to push someone in, you've got to push one of those guys out Yeah. Um, because there's only so many midfield rotations going around. So um, that that's where I find the whole discussion around, all right, bring in a big-bodied inside mid and he can start at the bounce next game. Uh, that's just unlikely to happen. You know, purely based around the fact that he won't know any of our game structures, our setups, our, you know, so it takes time for the mid-season guys to get up to speed, whereas a forward pocket or a, that sort of player, you can almost inject straight away into the side, yeah. you know, because it's like, all right, well, chances are where they stand defensively at kickouts and stuff is about where they have been anyway. Um, chances are they they can learn pretty quickly when they need to push up the ground or, or push back. That sort of stuff from a small forward is a fair bit simpler and less complex than it is for an inside mid, for example. So, um, yeah, I, it, it's an interesting question. The best player available thing I don't necessarily subscribe to. I think if you keep picking best player available, you'll end up, end up with... 25, 5 foot 10 inside <laughs> midfielders. Um, <laughs> yes. So I think, you know, you need a balance on your list. Um, if one guy's an absolute standout, for sure, take him and figure it out. But I don't really think that's usually the case at, at your sort of mid-season draft. So I think they'll probably, oh, I have no idea what they'll do, but if it's me, I'd probably target. Um, if there's a really good inside, uh, sorry, really good small forward available, that's probably where I'd look. Yeah, I mean, the guy called Canista comes to mind as an Indigenous. Yeah. Um, I should mention Wade Dirksen, who you mentioned just then, by the way, was with yeah. our VFL program for a couple of years. So he's a, he's a terrific fella, Dirk, and um, he's an NT boy, Northern Territory boy originally, and um, is now playing over in WA, so I hope he gets picked up. He's a, he's a lovely kid. Yeah, so, uh, and look, can I just add a quick read? Did Fajo Jr. leave the VFL program? Was he just injured or what happened? Uh, so he, he's injured. Um, he did a big hamstring, so which was meant to be sort of eight or ten weeks, I think. So okay. he's still a few weeks away from any possible return. I have a feeling he might um, have gone home um, to attend to a couple of family matters, I think. So okay. I'm, I'm not exactly sure. Where that's, that's at at the moment, I think we'll probably find out a bit more after the break. Sounds good. Well, mate, uh, thank you so much for joining the show. You've been awesome as always. Uh, My pleasure. Your very, your very the, first the main show. show. I know. Uh, it's good to actually <laughs> just talk Essendon in general. And, um, yeah, so look, just for the listeners, uh, for the Patreons, our next show will be the following Thursday, which will be the team selection for the big Carlton 150th game, which we're all very nervous on. Um, uh, we'll ha- there won't be a main show next Monday night. We'll, we'll just leave that blank. We're just going to take a week off and just see our families and say hi. Uh, so, uh, yeah, thanks, everyone, for, for um, listening to the show. Thank you again, Paul Cousins. Uh, let's all have a, a nice week off, rest up, 
Uh, say hi to everyone. Say hi to family and friends. Enjoy the, the weekend off and we'll talk soon. Thanks again, Paul. Cheers. No worries. Thanks, Scott.